What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Master Your Mindset Podcast, the spot to get your mind right. You can't just train the body or your craft. You have to train the mind. And I'm so excited for this episode because we're sitting down with one of my dear friends, someone that I deeply respect and admire in the field of mental performance and really wellness overall and just having fun wearing bangles on our wrists, cute high heels, great nails, Dr. West. Let's go. Um, but today we're sitting down with Dr. Julia A. West, a licensed clinical psychologist, executive coach, and director of science and content at Limitless Minds, which we worked together for oh, about two years, almost maybe three years now, um, with over a decade-long career in clinical psychology and health psychology. She is a seasoned expert in unlocking mental performance, fostering resilience, and promoting well-being. Her motto, Momento Mori a constant reminder to make every moment count mirrors her passion for her work, her family, and the joy she finds in life's simple pleasures. Drawn from a, a well of personal and professional experience, Dr. West is a testament to resilience and purpose. She journeyed through life's most formidable challenges and now helps others do the same, making psychological theory both accessible and practical. I love that intro. Thank you for helping me with that one, Dr. West. How are you? I'm doing well. You did you did great with that. That's that's the long form. <laughs> I know. If I if, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I could summarize, if I would if I would summarize you, uh, maybe you in a few words. Let me just let me just popcorn. No, oh, I loved it. Some 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 words. I'm just gonna just think the first words. This is a little yes and with with Coach okay. Travis. A little yes and when I think of Dr. West, I would say fun. I would say brilliant. I would say grounded. I would say a little sassy, um, <laughs> open-minded, supportive, real, talented, and impactful. Well, if showmanship guides today, we're gonna leave on a high note. Thanks, Colin. This was great. Love it. <laughs> I got my I got my shot in the arm. It was very nice. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, how's it going? Oh, hey, we're recording on a Friday. How's it going on a Friday? doing well it's going great friday is you know champions create distance on fridays right got to keep they going yeah. the separations in the preparation but what i love yeah. about our our collaboration and and you know we both kind of took a step out of what we were trained to do what our first career was we're stepping out and doing something different as entrepreneurs that really are, are purpose driven but once we both i think have realized once we made this step is it work is it play can't tell feels the same to me so this conversation is play. Right. This isn't work. I really agree. I think that, you know, we've talked about this, that like, you know, I come from a very academic environment and like you said, took the chance to kind of go out on my own as a business owner in private practice and then took another chance and decided to switch careers altogether after having invested years and time and money into kind of the academic medicine route. And I have so many pinch me moments now where I'm like, is this for real? Is this is what I get paid for? So it's awesome. I mean, it's just absolutely priceless to do something that, like you said, like, where's the work part? Where's the fun part? It's a blend. It, I'm pretty lucky. I know that's not everybody's situation. 
Yep. And I remember, you know, early on in my career when I met Harry and Trevor mm-hmm. and um, just you're, understanding you're one them. of our OGs, Colin. I mean, the limitless minds. Yeah. Shout me. out to DJ Eidson and, and Trev and Harry and, and Russell. And I remember early on, like the first year or so, I was like, I, I just feel like we need a clinical anchor to what we're doing. Because when you're talking about cognition and you're talking about the psychology of success and performance, and we're working with a lot of healthcare companies, we just yep. need to have the credibility of being yeah. evidence-based and ding, 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 enter Julia West, Dr. J, yeah. J-Dub. So maybe yeah. give us, give us like the origin story of, of your journey from, you know, your, your maybe childhood, some things that influenced you and shaped you to led you to where, to where you are now. Yeah. Well, I, I think, so I started out as a really, really anxious child, um, high achieving kids and people have a greater likelihood of dealing with a lot of anxiety. This is sort of that classic overthinking paradox, right? It, you're smart and you overthink everything. So that started for me really young. Um, and it was over a lot of my own internal struggles, right? These are the kinds of struggles that didn't get noticed because I was getting good grades and I had a lot of friends. And so all of the hardship was dealt with internally, right? All of those, you're not good enough. You know, what happens if you make a mistake, all of that. So dealing with all of that really drove me ultimately into psychology, which I think is a common story, right? For people that go into this work, I think not everybody, but a lot of people have a personal experience with dealing with some of this stuff. And, you know, I wanted to pay it forward. And so that's why I went into psychology. And um, I, I did that work for a long time. I treated a lot of folks with anxiety, like I had had people that were adjusting to major medical illness, uh, and people with eating disorders, depression. And then around the pandemic, along with the rest of the world, I got really burnt out. And, you know, this was a period of time where all of the resources I was used to being able to have access to, to help people get help kind of disappeared. And all at once, I'm this mom who is, has two little kids and a husband who's, you know, typically travels the world half the time. He's home. We got COVID early. We're really sick. I'm transitioning a business from totally in person to totally virtual, never having done that before. I know you know how that goes. And all of a sudden my patients are so much sicker and there's so much less help that I can give them. And that took a toll on me. And so not too long into the pandemic, I started thinking about what was next for me. And it was months after that thought and talking about that with some people in my life that I met Harry Wilson, who is the CEO of Limitless Minds. And uh, I took a chance when I met Harry and I, I'm typically pretty deferential when I meet somebody for the first time, especially when I'm intimidated. And I was definitely intimidated. He laughs about this now when I tell him how scared I was to meet him. But I took a chance and I said, hey, you know, I'm I'm reading this book by Trevor Millard, right? At the time it was It Takes What It Takes. It was his first book, not even his second. And I was like, you know, it gave me some ideas. I'm sure you've heard of them. And I started talking to him about, you know, some of the roots in 
psychological science that show up in one of our trademark um, concepts, our trademark philosophies, neutral thinking. And I'm telling him this thinking, yeah, yeah, he knows, he knows. Well, he didn't. And so he started taking notes and bim, bam, boom, three years later, I'm, I've been here a couple of years, full time working for them. And uh, yeah, director of science and content and resident psychologist. So that's really cool. And when you talk about neutral thinking, I think you were seeing the parallels of yeah. ACT or ACC yeah. acceptance and commitment, commitment yeah. therapy or, or coaching. Yeah. Um, so, but I, but I'd be curious to see, like yeah. when you were talking to Harry and reading Trevor's first book, like what mm -hmm. was the link that says, yes, I think I see myself fitting in this. Yeah. This is what I've been doing, but I'm listening to you talk and I'm seeing the the clients that you're serving and yeah. the, the current climate we were in at that time with other people yeah. that were struggling. Like what was the link between, yes, I see myself. I want to transition to here. Yeah. I think, you know, that. It seems like a simple question, but of course it's me, Colin. So, you know, I have a little bit of a complicated answer to it. it. I automatically resonated with the concept of neutral thinking because, you know, there's very little anything anymore that's something that's totally new under the sun, right? And so neutral thinking has overlap with a lot of other philosophies that I had been familiar with, like the Buddhist um, concept of equanimity. Stoic philosophy, enlightened detachment. Um, the, the term I gave Harry in that first phone call was cognitive diffusion, which is from the acceptance and commitment coaching or therapy space. So I, I recognized the concept right away. And the other piece that brought this all together for me was, you know, I've always been driven by access. I That is why I like doing what I'm doing. That's why I was thinking about leaving the one-to-one -one space and being able to reach more people. And a really important thing with access is messaging and how different people that all need to hear the same message need to hear it differently for it to hit, for it to hit home for them. And so I was fascinated by how Trevor had brought this message to groups of people who weren't folks that would come into my therapy office who weren't reading the kinds of things that I was reading in graduate school, right? But but need that message all the same. And so I was talking to Harry about this and I didn't know if I saw myself fitting in at first. I knew I was gonna try because when you meet somebody that you see a light in them that's similar to a light you recognize in yourself, you want to keep pursuing it. And I saw that with Harry and I saw that with Limitless Minds. And so I thought, I'm going to try. I don't know if it will fit. I don't know if it will work, but I'm going to try. And I think one of the things that I've been able to do for Limitless Minds so far with your help and with a lot of the a lot of help from other speakers that we have, right? Other coaches, I'm thinking of Hannah Pryor as a, as a great example of this, is to be able to bust some myths about what neutral thinking is and isn't to people that might hear it and think this isn't for me because I'm an emotional person or this isn't for me because you know I'm passionate right like I think that anybody that meets me for a little bit of time recognizes that there's a little bit of drama queen in me right <laughs> I love that about myself um so if somebody like me can embrace neutral thinking and use it to really steady myself 
in moments of change, challenge, adversity, uncertainty, pressure, anybody can, right? So that's kind of one of the things that really, you know, is something that motivates me to keep doing this work is that I think I'm part of the translation of how we take this message to everybody that needs to hear it. That's, that's wonderful. Um, what, what have you learned about yourself in this uh, process? That I know a lot less than I thought I did, <laughs> which is funny, <laughs> right? No, but it's true. Like, I think, you know, I, I always make this joke. I was the absolute best parent in the world until I became a parent. <laughs> mm. I knew everything that I would do. I knew everything that I wouldn't do. I knew all of the private thoughts that I had when I watched other people that were already parents doing things that I thought I would never do. I was the world's perfect mother until I actually became one. And I think that applies to a lot of other things in my life. Like I think that I, uh, I came in to this role feeling like I had a lot to teach. And three years in, I wake up with a profound sense of gratitude for how much I've learned, mm. you know? So like, that's I probably, mm, yeah, go ahead. yeah. I, I would say that's probably my favorite answer. Anyone could ever say is oh, really? <laughs> having humility, especially yeah. with someone who has a lot of letters after their name, who's very educated, yeah. who has a high, high <laughs> level of, of knowledge and skills to say, um, how much I didn't know that that just makes my heart feel so good that you want to continue to learn and you have the, the humility that I'm strong here, but I want to develop some skills here. And that's what mindset is all about. Your yeah. mind is limited. If you don't have a growth mindset to have a limitless mind is teach me. I'm hungry. I have a lot to offer, but I have so much to grow. So listeners, that is phenomenal. And that was not pre-planned. I love your answer so much. I mean, Dr. it. West. You teach yeah. me, you, you've taught me. So like, I think that, you know, the difference between being foolish and wise is wanting to know so that you can show people that you're smart and wanting to learn so that you truly understand. Right. Mm, like, I, and I, I really mean that. And it's funny. I think that one of the things that has been really crucial for me in learning to leave my ego at the door, right? To recognize that as much as I think I know, <laughs> I have quadruple that to learn, right? Is um, really investigating for myself what holds me back from saying like, I don't know, tell me. And for me, it's, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people call it, it's insecurity at feeling like you look a certain way that might make you feel embarrassed or ashamed in front of people, right? Like, so if you have to admit that you don't know, in certain audiences, in certain groups, that is a scary thing to have to do. And I feel like this: the more training, the more letters that I've gotten, it's scarier and scarier to admit to folks, hey, I don't know, tell me. And I think the difference for me has been really leaning into that fear and being like, I, I think I get to set the tone here. If I show people 
I'm not afraid to say I don't know. I'm not afraid to ask the question. I go in expecting that I have more to learn than I have to teach. Uh, people take their cues and it might make it feel safer for other people in that room to, who maybe don't have um, the same letters or different, you know, the same amount of letters or the same letters in general after their name as I do to do that too. And I think that creates the environment where curiosity wins the day. And mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't know the better mindset than that. That's it. And I, I think, and this is a coaching podcast. So we yeah. come from the, the preface to, to ask questions, learn from other thought leaders to help coach the listeners and give them tool strategies. So I think foundationally listeners, if you're listening to this back and forth is to show up with a humble heart and be open to learn. And the, the catchphrase that we like to say is victory goes to the vulnerable. You got it. This is and by, <laughs> and by asking for help and not having yeah. to know everything, it just, just makes you be more grounded, more present, more open to learn and open to give more because you're, yeah. you're coming from a place where I don't have to prove anything. I'm here. We're learning together. And then the other question I wanted to learn before we get into the main topic is what, what, what are you loving right now about your life or about your, your career? Um, I think how much possibility there is. Like I was definitely somebody who before making these career shifts, I thought I knew what the next 20 years of my career were going to look like. You know, I because my default is to be a lockstep person. I kind of look at what's expected of me and then I make it happen, right? Even if it's hard, even if it takes <laughs> 7 years <laughs> to get the degree, right? I'll do it. And so I think that when I really stopped caring if other people approved of me or not, oh my God, my life has gotten so much more exciting and I've gotten opportunities. And I wouldn't be sitting here with you today if I hadn't stopped caring what I thought other people needed me to do in order for me to be acceptable, right? Like, so I... I'm just overwhelmed with happiness about the possibilities that I have and just like how every year looks a little bit different. I think that is so cool. And that's professionally, that is what energizes me so much right now. That's really cool. Yeah. That having the the freedom to be yeah. authentic, to be yourself, to not be paralyzed on what you're thinking other people are thinking, fear of other people's opinions okay. is such a... Such right? a debilitating mindset to have. Yeah. So I think that's so exciting. It's just, you're loving that. I'm, I'm loving what I see in the mirror. I, I loving, I'm loving what I'm creating. I, I'm loving how I'm collaborating and um, I'm excited for what's next. But now let's get into the topic today. Then I talked to Dr. West, uh, J-Dub, doc, Dr. J. We have a lot of names for you. Right. Um, well, the the bangle, the bangle queen. We got some Bengals on Don't today. Come the, on. the Prosecco princess, right? Like that's the awesome. Prosecco princess. We got a lot of names, but yeah. uh, something that I think you and I have connected on uh, is this word shame. And we've kind of coined the phrase collectively in a group text, yeah. swimming in shame lake. Do you yeah. want to give us some context of, of that, yeah. please? I do. So, okay. You know, for anybody listening Colin is one of the people in my life 
who has encouraged me, whether you've always known it or not. And sometimes it's been very direct and sometimes I think it's been more indirect to not be afraid of my story, to not be afraid to own my story. And instead you really, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to put you on the spot or embarrass you, but it, it's really been you that has helped me realize how I need to use my story to further my mission. You always say, make your mess your message. And when your mess is really messy, when you've grown up thinking there are things you have to keep private or people won't accept you, that's scary. And so one night, gosh, this is like, is it like a year ago? I did, I can't, I can't scroll far back, far enough back in our text. We were having a text chain, you and me and um, a fellow colleague of ours, Hannah Pryor, and we were talking about this. And I was basically asking you guys, can I share my story? And I'll, I, I'll briefly like touch on here because I know this is a, a place where you all talk a lot about mental health. I, the challenges that you mentioned in my intro, um, my, my personal challenges have been um, very severe mental health issues earlier in my life, um, really bad. And so bad that there were times where not just myself, but people in my family were like, we don't know if she's going to make it to the next year. Um, and I was turning this over and over in my mind. Am I, do I talk about this publicly? Do I, can I use this as part of my, you know, turning my mess into my message? And I've been getting kind of like conflicting feedback from other people in my life. Don't share it. Maybe you could share it, but like, you know, shine it up, polish it a little bit. And that night on that text message, you and Henna were like, that's crazy. You need to share it. You need to dive right into that and release the shame because we all have our own shame stories, right? And I can't remember who it was. Was it me? Was it you? Was it Henna? Who made this analogy to shame is like a lake. And all of us, you, me, anybody listening to this, we all have things in our life that are things that we felt shame about, whether that shame was earned or whether it was like that toxic shame that we feel um, because we think we're not good enough. And we sort of dumped ourselves three shame lake survivors. And we talked about how Shame is a concept that in coaching, particularly I would say in executive coaching or leadership coaching doesn't get talked about a lot, right? I think yeah. Brene Brown. Brene Brown, Brown is like the book. only one. There's only one right. person in this entire industry that's, right. that has basically trademarked, coined the phrase, you know, uh, I'm a shame researcher. Right. Teaching people how to be vulnerable. Like there's no one else. There's, there's right. no one else. There's not. And, and there needs to be more of a shared voice who's yes. who's helping but it's but getting so high performers getting exactly. alpha personalities to show themselves being vulnerable and to talk about and maybe how about this what, what is shame yeah so i like to talk about shame and i'll, I'll just say i've learned so much from Brene brown's work that if i if i say something that i don't 
immediately attribute to her, um, forgive me, because I feel like at this point, it's just all in my head. And I've read every single one of her books, probably five times each. Um, when I think of shame, I always think of guilt. And here's why. Before I started learning about shame as a professional, I used the words shame and guilt interchangeably, like they mean the same thing. And I've come to learn they don't. And so when I talk about shame with clients of mine, I always start out by saying this. Guilt is I've done something bad. Shame is I am someone bad, right? And so I, when I hear or, or look at articles that talk about how shame can be a force for good, I, I read them and I realize what they're really talking about is how I think of guilt, right? Guilt has us take ownership for something that we've done that we want to make amends for. And the focus of guilt is outward. The focus of guilt is how do other people's feelings and how do I make amends for something I've done um, that violates, you know, my sense of ethics, right? And and make and make that better. Shame is very inwardly focused. It it causes people to shut down. It's this very negative self-evaluation that is so overgeneralized, it loses the moment, right? It becomes who you are in your bones. And even as I'm talking about this, for anybody that's listening, you're thinking about something that you've done in your life um, or that you think about yourself that you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that probably would be shame. And you're probably also thinking about guilt and how that's different. And if there's one thing you take away from this conversation, if you didn't know this already, guilt and shame are not the same thing. And shame is very destructive. Yeah, I look at shame as identity. Yeah. Self-image. That's right. And I look at guilt as an action or a a yes. behavior. Yeah. Like like you described. I think shame yeah. is you did something or experienced something right. and you feel it to your core into your nervous system into your cells as an identity of that behavior or that action or that event yep. shaped who I am who you know and so you feel a certain way about yourself, which flows into the behavior. And then you feel guilty. It's like this, this cycle. And when you say shame lake, I'm thinking everybody visualize you're isolated in this lake. You can't touch the bottom mm -mm. and you're swimming you and you're just exerting. You can't see the bottom and you're just exerting energy, trying to stay above float. And you're looking around Is does anybody here with me? I feel so alone, but the shore is so far away. Am I going to be in this forever and it's just debilitating and, and draining you want to feel free you want to feel loose you want to swim with people so to help us get out of shame lake right gotta throw people like pain them. pain and shame can't <laughs> be fully healed unless it's shared that's right and 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 this one i know i contribute immediately to a Brene brown um one of my favorite books of hers i think is one that gets a little bit less attention it's called the gifts of imperfection um, love that book great book and in that, she talks about like shame is like a mushroom. It can't survive the light. It can't grow in the light. It can only grow in the dark. And so what I think is so, oh, it's like making me emotional. Colin knows I cry at the drop of a hat. Um, what, 
what made that text chain where we started talking about Shame Lake and we started planning, right, this idea of how can we bring this to the, the corporate coaching space, right? Well, what really, what was so profound for me about that conversation was when you and Henna made me realize I wasn't alone swimming in that lake. It's so, it's this profound moment of like, I think people talk about it as like being seen. I feel really seen by you. To me, I always think about that, like sometimes when you're in pain, when you're feeling shame, just the presence of somebody else in that metaphorical dark room is everything. It's everything because shame would have us believe that we are bad to the core and we're the only person who's bad to the core and no one could ever love us, right? And as soon as we know there's one other person that says, oh my God, I feel like that too. Suddenly you've got somebody next to you in the lake and it, it literally means everything. And when I think about vulnerability and how much that gets talked about in the leadership and corporate space, but how little shame gets talked about <laughs> in that same space, I get puzzled about it because I think that the vulnerability that affects how you show up for people in your life is around how do you know how to deal with shame? How well do you deal with your own shame? And if you don't even know, if you can't even talk about, if you can't even put your finger on because it's just too painful or scary, the things that bring you shame you can never be truly vulnerable in a way that's going to unlock that next level for you. Like, think of this. If you have a leader who maybe there's something that happened to this person long ago, right? Like you're saying the issues are in the tissues. Isn't that what you say? Or, or like, you know, trauma, mama, what do you say? Yeah. <laughs> trauma, drama, daddy, mama, right? Trauma, drama, daddy, mama. Yeah, the issues are in the not, tissues. You, I'll tell you what, folks. If I haven't learned so many fantastic one-liners from Colin, I haven't learned anything. But so let's say this person had an experience, this, this leader, let's say all the way back, um, he felt really stupid and uninformed in a core memory kind of moment early in his life. And he internalized that as I may never, must never look uninformed again. Let's say he's never done any work with that. Now he finds himself a leader of a big organization or even just, a, you know, several teams or departments. And he's sitting in a meeting and somebody's presenting an idea to him and he doesn't understand it. What's he going to do? Not if he has that unaddressed, exactly. Mm -hmm. He's not going to ask the question. That's maybe the best thing he could do. The worst thing he could do, and I've seen this happen many times, is he dismisses the idea. Or he you know, says something very invalidating or um, that, that would shut down the person that has it, right? Over time, what does that do to the innovation that that team is capable of, to the creativity, to the psychological safety of, I know I can say this idea without people looking down on me. A lot of that has to do, as you know, Colin, with the leader, right? That person's unexamined, undealt with shame affects that team's performance but people don't talk about this, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that I would love to do, you know, with, with folks like you is 
to really tap into that. When we talk about awareness, self-awareness for leaders, which is a big buzzword, I want some of that awareness to include where are your personal shame like stories, right? Like what, and I think that that feels like a well, and, and it's like you're in shame lake, but sometimes you're pulling people in and say, we yes. want to help pull people, pull people out. You know, I, I'm, I'm imagining Hannah and I are reaching a hand to say, we're going to swim with you. And then we're going to show you where, where, where the shore is. We're going to, we're going to cut that brick off your ankle. Yep. Or, right. or let's, let's talk about what's the best path to go together instead yes. of you're just by yourself kind of lost out there, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but that can happen unless you get real with yourself and what you don't feel will not heal. How many people suppress the emotion, the feeling, and just what you resist persists pain. That's not properly processed gets projected. So these leaders are projecting their shame lake and they're blindly just hurting inside. And that hurt is being felt by those around because they're unwilling Yep. to maybe learn how to swim out, learn a new strategy so that humility is lacking or, and then the ego is, is blocking, you know, learning growth opportunities. So that's a fascinating angle that I, like you said, no one has even really tapped into no. because we talk about shame and being vulnerable and stuff and courage, but the step one is the awareness in, yeah. in terms of what, what are the origins and some of the things in the work I do when I'm doing the live workshops is what are perceptions or stories of self team or industry do we need to be aware of now to reshape the mindset and do the internal work to overcome? Cause the biggest competition is self. I'll say that every time. And it is the truth. It's not marketplace. It's not access. It's not competition. It's not price. It's an internal barrier of you have shame lake residue all over you and you're way yep. down. Imagine jumping out of a lake. You actually are out of the lake, but you're you're drenched in weight from the shame you're yeah. going on to. How can you perform the way you want to? We yeah. want to be free. Yeah. We want to be open. We want to be light. But that doesn't have that unless... like muck. Yeah, the mud. Yeah. Okay. So so let's just talk about what are some ways we can yeah. get out, we can get out of shame lake. So I think the first thing that I would say, and I, the reason I'm hesitating saying this is because I, um, I know this might be hard for some people to do, but find someone in your life that you trust, but I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a little disclaimer on this. Somebody that you trust so much that you can actually sit there with this person. If they told you something difficult to hear, right. And you're not worried that they're going to think less of you. So you need to find somebody that you trust at that level and take the chance, reach for the hand in that lake and share something that's been bothering you. If you are, are so used to swimming in the lake, like I would say this about a fish colony. Um, if you ask a fish, Hey, what do you think of all this water? They're going to say, what's water? Because they're, they're been in it their whole lives. It's just not something they notice anymore. And some of us, I think, are like that with these things that are so old and and so chronic for us that we cannot even notice them. And so it, the remember, awareness precedes change. So a way to build awareness would be of your shame points. If you're like, Julia, I don't even know what they are, right? I'll tell you, start paying attention to when you have a big reaction to something right? 
the likelihood that that something touched on a shame like story for you is higher, right? Than you just kind of looking to throw a dart at the wall, right? Something that you have, what some people might even argue as like, is a disproportionate reaction. I don't like to say that because I, I never really, I don't like to judge reactions. I like to work through them and, and help somebody determine whether they were effective or not, right? But if you have a big reaction to something and you're like, where'd that come from? I bet you shame is somewhere there. Anything that makes you question your worth is likely related to a story that you're telling yourself that has roots in shame. So mm -hmm. if you know what your story is and you just are too afraid to talk about it, find somebody you trust. If you don't know what it is, start paying attention to your reactions and do a little bit of detective work. And mm. all right, what's this touching on for me? Man, I love these conversations because it forces me as someone who who has is shame ridden, guilt ridden, a people pleaser, codependency, just name yeah. it, imposters. Like just, just I got all of you it. You name it, we've had it, right? It, folks? <laughs> we've had it. Have it now. Currently yeah. have it while we're having this podcast. Of course. Um, but but by having these conversations, it's like us tinkering yeah. in the lab and looking at different ways to formulate, I yeah. wouldn't say a cure, but a way to to move forward. Yeah. And I, I just wrote some things down. Do you want to hear them? I want to hear what they are. You take the best notes. Yeah, well, I'm taking, I have a, I have a page of notes from you already, but if if I were to, because like my joy is in learning about these things, because I think we all just kind of silently suffered for so long. Yeah. And that example of the mushroom can't grow if there's light. Mm -hmm. So if we don't have these conversations, find a therapist, counselor, coach, a peer, someone you trust. I love that you said someone you trust. This isn't for everyone. You don't just need, need, need to broadcast this to everyone, but you find someone that you trust. I think now and today with the era of like social media, now people like get this badge of honor of just airing all their dirty laundry to the world to get attention, which that's a whole different story. That's a deeper I that's issue. What, I think that's when people in our, in our space, Colin, where we train, I think when people react poorly to the word vulnerability, it's because they think vulnerability means oversharing. Mm -hmm. And you and I know that that's not actually what it means, right? That there is a big difference between being vulnerable and admitting, like you said, that you don't know everything, admitting that you need help, admitting that there's something that you feel a certain type of way about, right? And oversharing and just, you know, uh, I think Gen Z calls it emotionally dumping. <laughs> on everyone and anyone, right? Like there's a big difference there. When we talk about vulnerability, that's not what we mean. But yeah, like finding somebody that you trust. And, and I'm glad that you mentioned the therapist and the coach piece. Um, you know, that's very near and dear to my heart. It was the way I started my career um, was by being, um, by becoming a psychologist and, and being a therapist. And I still do this with folks and it's incredibly important. So if you are one of those people that you're like, I don't know who I would talk to. Or I gotta say, Julia, great advice. I still think I don't know what my shame story is, but boy, I do notice I have these reactions. And I don't know how to explain them. Find yourself a professional, and that's what they will help you do. Yeah, I, I got seven. <laughs> Jeez, I only have two. Maybe what, I should think about more. What's the what's a what's another word for isolation? Isolation is bad. What would be the opposite of isolation? Connection. 
connection, but, but I feel like you need to do some internal work. So I, 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 I said the word stillness. Yes. So, so find a place to go, whether it's your favorite lake, happy place or a walk or a trail or wilderness or, or your closet. Um, somewhere in your house or <laughs> somewhere that you need. I think we have so much wisdom inside of us that we don't tap into because we're so consumed by digital things and to-do lists. And we just can't get to the root because we just don't allow ourselves to explore and to experience ourselves because mm -hmm. we are coping and hiding and masking. So I would say step one of any of this work that we do is just carve out some time for stillness with yourself. And then step two would be feel. Do you, do we allow ourselves to actually feel and to explore, you know, where, what is the emotion? Where do I feel it? What, is it numb? Yeah. We want to hundred percent. We want to numb. I lifted up my phone, right? Yeah. Because this is what so many yeah. of us do when we have a moment. I mean, I, if I had a dime, I mean, I guess I sort of do for every time I've heard a person tell me I can't be alone with my own thoughts because I'm, because it will, I'll be sad or I'll be in certain emotion they are trying to avoid here. Right. I mean, this, you're exactly right. If we can't be alone with our thoughts, we need to be very curious about why that is. And you're with yourself more than you're with any other person on earth forever. Right. And so you want to make your mind a safe place to come home to. Right. You want to make it a safe place to be. And, and I have I have a um, professional quarterback who I work with and he's like, Colin, how do I stay more present? And like I can give you like a in the moment, like breath work and yep. a mantra and how to visualize. But I said a better way to address this is to go to the source and like, why are you not present? What are you fearful of? What's causing the fear? I, I can come and give you a Band-Aid, but that's not going to solve this deeper issue. So there's deeper work. So we need stillness and we need to feel and we need to find what's the emotion. But then step three would be, what are the thoughts that are causing the emotion? What's the source? What's the origin? Where are the pictures that are creating the feeling? So I think it's kind of both like the mind, the body, the, the nervous system is part of the brain, but the nervous system is storing all the trauma. Mm. Yes. So what what is the emotion? But what are the thoughts, pictures I'm associating with the feeling? So it'd be stillness, start to, to notice and address, okay, what am I feeling? What does it feel like? What what is what are the thoughts or the memories or the, the, the future thoughts that are causing the way I'm feeling? Mm -hmm. And then then the next would be to identify, identify. If you can name it, you taught me this. If you can name it, you can tame it. Yeah. If you can give it yeah. a label, it's it separates you from shame I am. Yeah. It, it separates you because, because something you're giving... that I'm feeling, I'm the feeling. Yes, I'm feeling. yes. The other thing that it happens is actually the more specific that you can be with your label about what you're feeling. So, for instance, how many of us just say I'm stressed, right? <laughs> that is like a mask for a hundred thousand different things that you could be actually feeling. If instead I say I'm worried about how this presentation is going to go. What I just done for the emotion regulation section of my brain is I've given it a little boost. You actually begin to regulate an emotion when you're able to specifically name it. And I say specifically, because it really does matter. 
if you just stop at like the I'm stressed or I'm, it's like, well, actually I'm disappointed that today with regard to this project, it didn't go as I wanted it to. The other thing that that does is it starts to bring something that feels huge into a chunk that feels more manageable. The other thing I'll say is you're, if we're telling people to go sit in stillness and feel, <laughs> I always, um, as, a, as a psychologist, I always like to give people a tool that they could use to bring themselves back. If they're like, whoa, this got really serious really fast. Like I jumped into the deep end of Shame Lake on this one and I wasn't ready. One thing that I'll say is use two words after you label the feeling. I am feeling, and then put it in the emotion, right now. And I say that because the reason so many of us are afraid to feel emotions is because our brains tell us that it will last forever. And nobody wants to feel any of these difficult emotions forever. And so one thing that's really, really helpful to me and to the, the countless patients I've worked with over the years is to remind yourself, hey, this isn't gonna last forever. You can handle this, right? So that's just a little tool that you can use when you're feeling something to remind yourself, hey, this is gonna end. I'm gonna outlast this. I'm the feeler, not the feeling. I existed mm -hmm. before this feeling. I'm gonna exist long after it too. Yep. And one thing you kind of taught me, I'm visualizing, you know, being in a lake and sometimes boats are whizzing by and when a boat whizzes by, it creates a, a wake that creates a wave and it's rocky and it's scary. And, and But then that wake will eventually die down. So the emotion, we're using lake, but the emotion will flow back into the ocean as an old flow back. You cannot last, you taught me that, you cannot last the emotion. But I think a way, again, we're going through a sequence here is if you can sit in stillness, get curious with the feeling and and then start to observe thinking what's what's causing this and to identify, label it, then step five for me, I guess, if we're doing the work is to write it down because mm -hmm. you said to be super clear about it by putting a thought and a feeling to paper, you get to identify it and it's almost like out of your head, out of your body onto the page, yes. which creates a visual Absolutely. separation and it gives you clarity to be more aware of when you think and feel it you have a label but you can see it and then six once you've done that so early in my session of self-awareness i always have them write me their origin story mm. and just let's let me tell me how you see yourself tell me how you see your past what memories have you linked together to formulate this identity of, of, of who you are and, and what is what has led you here and then for me, the sixth one is once you have that written down, you felt it, thought about it, you've identified it, you've you've seen it now, you've seen it. Now you can tell someone, mm -hmm. you ask for help and, yeah. and you you tell. And just by transferring it, part of, I remember the, I will never forget the first time I told my stutter story was at my mom's school. She was a teacher and she, they were doing this like career program. And I was my first time I ever told, I was so nervous telling these eighth graders that I used to stutter. And it was so crazy. I was so nervous, but every time I did it, I felt stronger. I felt more clear and it wasn't as scary anymore. I, do you remember the text I sent you panicking after I told my, <laughs> my story for the first time? And you were very yeah. sweet to, to kind of remind me of this, right? Like, Hey, the first time is so scary. Right. Yeah. And I would say your, your list, your, your stepwise list is amazing. And I love it. And I think that for anybody that's listening, that you feel like you've done enough work 
where you can do that on your own, you've got a great roadmap. And for anybody that's listening that feels like, oh man, I don't know if I could do that on my own. This is why people like Colin and I exist, right? Like we could help you. Mm -hmm. There are folks that can help you do this. If you are listening to this and you're like, this is something I need. And man, I'm not sure that I want to do this without a guide, right? That's, That's a great like point. A perfect name or perfect uh, mm. time for a coach or therapist for sure. Because I'm, and I I'm wrote down... thinking, man, this is amazing. And also, there have been a time in my life that I would hear you and be like, this guy is a genius. And I don't know if I can do this on my own. But if you wrote down, if you took notes and you're looking and you're thinking, I don't know if I can do Colin's method on my own, find yourself a therapist. No, I would say you can't do it alone. Yeah. Nobody should worry or went alone. I'm telling you right now. That's find a doctor that you say. Find a doctor, West. I mean, you can't get out of shame like by yourself. You just can't. No. I and I think that it's. I think what's really, really amazing. And I I used to see this um, when I did a lot more therapy than I do. Um, I could tell when a when a patient sitting in front of me wanted to tell me something that they was they were afraid to tell me something. And so what I used to say, I used to just say that I'd say, Hey, I might be wrong, but I feel like there's something that you want to tell me. And you're afraid to tell me because you're afraid I'm going to judge you or I won't like you as much once you tell me. And about nine times out of 10, because I was, no one's ever perfect. I wasn't either. About nine times out of 10, that person would either start to cry or they'd kind of look at me and say, you got me. And I'm like, okay, so I'm not going to force you to tell me. And I want you to know that nothing that you can say right now is going to shock me or make me judge you. That's not why I'm here. And the reason I brought this up right now is that for anybody that's listening, that's thinking, okay, this is my sign. I'm going to go find someone. If you have a therapist or a coach that you're, that you found that isn't saying stuff like this, or that does feel judgmental or that you're afraid to talk to. And there's a reason why you're afraid other than what's in your head, meaning like, they have judged you in the past. This is a sign to find a new one. Um, that's not how it should be, right? You go to get this kind of connection to pull you out of shame. Like if you are feeling judged in that relationship, at the very least, it's time for a conversation, a, a brave and potentially awkward conversation with that provider, or it's time to find someone new. I, I've, yeah. I've heard that once. I've heard it more than I'd like to hear, Colin, that people are, ha they have a therapist, they have a coach that has maybe helped them in the past, but they'll come to me and say, oh, I think I need somebody different to talk about blank with. And I'll say, well, why? And it comes out that there's been some judgment um, in, that, in that relationship that they feel like I can't navigate this with this person. So I always like to give that advice too, is that you should not be on the receiving end of judgment from a therapist or a coach. Yeah, I, I think even being a trusted friend is is to listen and help them label the emotion, help them and state back the reason for the emotion and then step through be to validate. Yeah, I can see how that's hard. Exactly. I can understand and, and the struggle. Just you don't need to have a solution. The solution is validating and understanding. But and, and this is we got to wrap up here. We got to wrap up. I can talk to you literally for five right? hours straight, and time doesn't exist. So there, there. Before my last question, I wanted to just state: when you 
hold in mm -hmm. those negative, shameful feelings and emotions. It's like, it's like, it's like a toxin yeah. that, that gets worse. It's like something, a virus that's bottled in, like it's going to expand. It's going to find a new host. It's going to hit every single cell in your body where it's going to be just debilitating. Yeah. But when you can transfer that shame energy by using your voice and your words, it's like, it's releasing it outside of you. Yes, it is. There's a, there's a release that is, that is shared by, you know, your therapist coach yeah. that, you know, and I would say if it's super, super, super heavy, this is not a coach's job. This is a licensed professional's job. Let me just state that. I think there are some really good coaches out there that can, you know, help. But I, my philosophy is you need a community, a counselor, and a coach. I love that. You're, you're three C. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and for uh, all of you listeners and a Colin. <laughs> for and, and the, but then, and then here's, here's my last step to put a bow on it. The last step would be, I wrote down to redo. So go back to the source of the shame and redo how you would talk to yourself, have self-compassion, empathy, you know, heal those neural pathways, like redo the conversation you had and what you're attaching a meaning to what you're associating. You're not going to really heal unless you kind of have the self-compassion and say, it's okay. Yeah. Write the letter. Right? You did with the, you did the best of what you had in that moment. And actually, if you're talking about parts therapy, that's right. That, that that part served a purpose at that time, but we have compassion for it. We don't judge it. Exactly. Now, now that part doesn't need to play as large of a role. We found another part that we can move to, to move forward. And I would say, lastly, just because I'm more coach driven, I would say, well, what if we can redo? What would be a new action today? Mm. What's a what's a new neural pathway, a new path, a new direction that it's going to be uncomfortable? It's going to take for you is just well, that one action is, hey, I'm going to be on a podcast. Yeah. I'm going to share, or yeah. I'm going to text. I'm going to, I'm going to share two of my, my, my work colleagues. So I'm also homies with, Yeah, that would be an action of healing. Next yep. step, the action would be, I'm going to actually tell a live audience or the next action yep. would be, I'm, I'm going to share my shame story. Here, I'm going to burn so my, my shame leg boat for anybody listening. Yes. It, on September 13th, my episode where I first, for the first time ever publicly shared one of my Shame Stories is dropping on Lindsay Dowd's Heartbeat for Hire podcast. So if you want to hear, like, you know, the, this was you telling the eighth graders your stutter story for the first time. This is the podcast form of my doing that for my story. I'm and so, you're exactly so right. proud of you. Take an action, lean in, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's the first step to really, you know, shame can't grow anymore once you shine a light on it. Yeah, because a counselor has is a better or therapist licensed professional in mental health has a better toolkit to heal the past where i think obviously yeah. the coaching world is really driven for towards forward movement but a, a community is like living now living together yeah and so that's we got some tools for you but dr west maybe last question would be sure. um something that everybody needs to know Mm. something that everyone you think as your experience, you're, you're well-educated, you're well-experienced, you have a big heart. I love doing karaoke with you. Oh man. But what would be one thing everyone needs to know? And I'll, I'll let, I'll let it sit there. You can answer that however you want. I think everybody needs to know that everybody has a shame story. Everyone. There are two people in this world people that have shame stories and people that are lying to you when they tell you they don't. And so if you're listening to this and you 
and your brain is doing that thing where it tells you that, yeah, she's saying that, but mine is worse than hers. Tell your brain, thank you for that thought. And you're not going to take actions from it right now because everybody's got a shame story. You're not the only one. You're, you are truly not alone in your shame. It is universal and you deserve to evolve beyond it. That's beautiful. I love it. I love it. Well, we're going to have, we're going to hopefully create space where there's more people talking about this. And I can't think of anybody better, Dr. J, than you to do it. You're going to help me. We're going to get t-shirts. We're going to get life preservers. We're going to (laughs) absolutely enter train the crowd when we enter are train. a hard discussion. Did you get that trademark? Y- y'all catch that? En- enter train. Enter train. I have the legal paperwork filled out, buddy. But we're going to do it. So thank you. So I, I'm, I'm envisioning us doing a workshop where I have, you know, flippers you on my feet. You need a I have I have white, you know, um, sunscreen on my nose. I have goggles on. I have a, yeah. a, a life life. Pre- Best preserver. And but, you need uh, a lifeguard whistle. Yes. No, I'm actually in the lake. I need a lifeguard to come save me. So Dr. West, where can people find you? Right now, look for me on LinkedIn. I'd love to see you there. I um, And I'd love to connect with you further. So it's just Julia West PhD on LinkedIn. Let's go. Well, grateful for you, care about you. And you know how we end every single episode. How do we do that? Dr. West, can you help me finish this sentence? This truth? Oh. The the body has limits. But the mind is limitless.